This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Richard Matheson's 1961 short story, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, and its Twilight Zone adaptations. So, James, I want to know, when was the first time that you remember watching The Twilight Zone? I on, I can't even tell you. I feel like I've been watching it forever. The I, I It was definitely just I caught it on TV at one point. Was it the original black and white or was it like a newer yeah. version? Or It was it was the original, yeah. Do you have any like particular episodes that you remember as a kid? That the Yeah, the one with the pig faces. The pig faces, yeah, that's an infamous episode beloved i think uh i remember the guy who who breaks his glasses and can't read for all eternity or whatever right he's like no yeah yeah that's such, yeah that's a massive one that's huge classic uh one of the other iconic ones and so is, is this is, one. is, is, is is yeah is this one now what's funny is i had never seen the original adaptation of this story the one that i remember was in the twilight zone i believe it was in the twilight zone film and it starred yeah. uh, uh, John Lithgow yeah. as as our main character here, and that scared the shit out of me as a kid. I remember that being really scary. Like the monster looked really good, and, and just really, they really got that goblin sort of gremlin thing going on, and uh, it was striking. And it was a very like close to that character psychosis almost, and the paranoia of no one listening to you. And I just remember that being just really affecting to me. And this covering this and reading this brought it all back to me. Yeah, and it makes air travel scary, right? Like people right. are already on edge when they're de- when they're dealing with air travel. But I don't this, think like, I'd just... ever, I don't think I'd ever flown on a plane. But as soon as I did, I immediately thought of this. Like it's like Jaws, like yeah. going in the water. It's like as soon as you get on a plane, like you think of this story. If you're next to the wing and you don't say <laughs> there's something on the wing, yeah. then you're doing it wrong. Which is funny because I don't think he actually says that. Yeah, he says there's a man yeah. on the wing. Uh, in, in there's in a man this. out there. Yeah, I think the yeah. something on the wing maybe does come come from that John Lithgow one. I'm not sure. I kind of do want to go back and rewatch that honestly, because now I'm curious. Because um, I thought we were gonna get something more like that with the new one, but um, not really. We won't spoil it. Um, so how we're gonna do this episode is we we have read the original short story by uh, by Richard Matheson, and we have watched the original uh, version from the Twilight Zone that he actually wrote the screenplay for. And then we went and watched the 2019 new version. Uh, Jordan Peele, executive producer. Uh, I know he has he has a hand in writing all these episodes, but I don't think he he solely writes them. Um, I, I know you looked into some of that, uh, so we can talk about that as we get to it. But um, we're going to save that for the last half ish of the episode, um, so that if you haven't seen that and you don't want to be spoiled, you can wait, and we'll we'll definitely like let you know when we're going to spoil that episode. But there, there is going to be full spoilers for the classic '50s version or '60s version and the and the original short story. 
Yeah, maybe we can even do the uh, the film version as a bonus episode or something at some point. Yeah, that'd be cool. I definitely need to rewatch it because I feel like I, I only have that memory as a kid, which I will reference as we go forward. But yeah, it's not fresh. Um, but I am I am yeah. curious. Uh, oh, hey, before we do get started, though, I wanted to mention that we are in the middle of doing well, not in the middle. We have just announced fairly recently that we're doing a giveaway for Good Omens uh, by uh, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. And we're doing it leading up to the release of the new Amazon six-episode miniseries, which we will be covering. And we're going to be reading the book and covering it as our next project. Uh, But if you would like to get a copy of that novel, we have six copies we got from the publisher that we're we're giving out. We're giving out two on Facebook, two on Twitter, and two on Instagram. You can enter on all three places, and uh, you can only win once, but if you enter on all three places, that's going to greatly improve your chances. So check that out. Find us on social media, Ink to Film. We're all over the place and look for that post. Oh, and real quick, one more thing. We are actually launching a YouTube channel. It's going to be uh, just search for Ink to Film on YouTube. We're going to be posting our back catalog of episodes on there, uh, rolling them out over time. Uh, Definitely check it out. We also might do some bonus content at some point. Uh, We haven't really decided what exactly that'll look like, but yeah, we're excited about it and we're on YouTube now. Yeah. I mean, it's a great platform. I, I listen to podcasts on YouTube and, you know, with, you know, there's a lot of podcast will have like a visual element to them um i don't think there's any plans for that anytime soon for us but who knows who knows what we'll (laughs) do on there eventually so yeah we're getting that set up we'd love to see you subscribe it'd be cool um and one other bit of news uh my story uh always daunted forever night has actually been selected for an anthology called the best vegan science fiction and fantasy of 2018 and it's uh out now so if you want to look for that online you can find it uh i'm honored to be included on that i think it's cool uh it's kind of a niche little anthology but i think it's fun yeah that's awesome man congratulations all right man so i think the first thing we should do is i should tell you a little bit about richard matheson do you know anything about about this writer i think he wrote he i think he's written other things that that i'm aware of um definitely but i can't (laughs) i I can't pull what what he's written right now yeah, that's fair. Um, so Stephen King, who we have covered many times on this podcast, has listed Matheson as a creative influence of his and says that his novel Cell is dedicated to Matheson. Uh, and uh, George A. Romero uh, cites Matheson's work as an inspiration for A Night of the Living Dead. Bas- explicitly, uh, the film version of I Am Legend is something that, that inspired Romero. So I Am Legend, is wow. he's the author of that of that novel, which was adapted, and we might cover it at some point, uh, in that Will Smith movie. Well, there must have been another adaptation. Yeah, there was an older adaptation, yeah. yeah. Now, Anne Rice has also said that Richard Matheson's short story, A Dress of White Silk, was an early influence on her interest in vampires. She went on to write an uh, interview with a vampire. Uh, so wow. he's had a lot of influence on on horror, and, and there was an opening in, in the Kindle book where Stephen King likens matheson to the elvis presley of horror and he says that uh, now a lot of people will rightfully point out that elvis presley didn't invent rock and roll that there were people who came before him and a lot of a lot of big names but says that he he believes that matheson's influence on the horror genre is as significant as elvis presley's is to to rock and roll so that's that's high praise coming from stephen king i wonder i wonder if there are any other adapted like any of his other short stories or words were are. adapted into Twilight Zone. I have, nice. a, I have, a, I have a list. Well, uh, I don't know about Twilight Zone, but adapted period, yes. So he has okay. written. He wrote first off. He wrote the screenplay for sixteen episodes of the Twilight Zone. 
He also has adapted his 1971 short story, Duel, as a screenplay directed by Steven Spielberg Spielberg. for a film of the same name. Seven of his novels and short stories have been adapted as motion pictures. The Shrinking Man, Hell House, What Dreams May Come, starring Robert Williams, Mm -hmm. Bid Time Return, filmed as Somewhere in Time, A Stir of Echoes, Steel, filmed as Real Steel, and Button Button, (laughs) filmed as The Box. And the movie Cold Sweat was based on his novel Writing the Nightmare. Well, I mean that's that's not only just horror. So it seems like he's he's successfully written other yeah. other genres that were adapted as well. Yeah, and he he won um, he's won like World Fantasy Awards and stuff too. So yeah, I, I, and I think I think some of this stuff is considered kind of dark fantasy or or you know, you know, just straight up fantasy for sure. So yeah, a very long career. He died in 2013, so actually not that long ago. Yeah, he's he's really kind of a horror and and genre icon, and um, it's interesting that this is the first time we're covering him. Honestly, with all these adaptations, I, I see a bunch of stuff on that list that we could end up covering. Yeah, that'd be cool to revisit. Yeah, this this will be our first our first little taste of him though. Now, I have read I Am Legend, and I've read um, some other short stories by him, and uh, I'm a fan. I like his writing, and um, I, I'd be I'd be excited to read more of it. Uh, but this was my first time reading this short story. I'm assuming you you hadn't read it before either, right? No, I hadn't. But but I have read I Am Legend as well, actually. Oh, you did? Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, we can we can talk about that another time. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I want to know what was your what was your thoughts about this short story and his writing style and and, and all that? Since this is our you know first time covering him on the podcast, at least. I didn't know what to expect. You know, we were just really I just knew that we were covering a twilight zone episode and then i was like oh it's based on based on existing material so let's check this out um Mm -hmm. but i have to say i was really really taken with it i really liked it the way that he sets up the scenario and like the tension that's in there and and you know there's a couple different beats that we can talk about you really feel the character's sense of what i guess what i'm trying to get at is you feel how heightened he is at, at multiple times throughout the story like it seems like just getting on the plane He's already, you know, over. The, he's already like f- extremely stressed, and yeah. you really get that in his interactions and and the way that he he writes about his his inner monologue. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he uses prose that implies uh, sort of like an a danger, you know, and and how uneasy uh, Wilson is here, our main character, and he's he's gripping the seat with like clawed hands and. He's talking about the the plane is like a lurching, lumbering leviathan that's spewing smoke and like all this stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. he's it's described yeah, as monstrous that. and and it's it's mm-hmm. setting the stage for what's to come with a you know what is essentially a monster story. And um, I think I think also what you're picking up on and for me throughout the story was how sort of paranoid and frustrated he was that like he couldn't convince anybody that what was happening was real and how everyone assumed that he was like losing his mind and, and he, and how just like maddening it is. I think that's like an identifiable fear. Like the fear that you, that you wouldn't be believed is, is a scary thought and you know, what would happen. And then, and then I also just want to say like, this is one of the most iconic plane stories for a reason. Right. And it's a, it's a fear bound up in being on a plane and uh, we talked about this a little bit, I think going all the way back to when uh, Emily Savedo was on and we did Jurassic Park, we, we had some talk about liminal spaces are like good places for stories. And I feel like this, a plane sort of qualifies as that. Like it's a weird, it's a weird space. 
and it's something we all recognize but it's like taken up a notch like it's taken to the next level because there is that existing danger just being up in the air where humans shouldn't be yeah well yeah and then and then it's all a place we've we've like most of us have been and we recognize but it's not somewhere a lot of us go a lot right like it's, it's something we do every now and then and it always feels like just a bizarre piece of life to actually go flying into the air. And I think he totally capitalizes on that bizarre feeling um, and, and plays right. off of that. Early in the in the beginning, and I get we we definitely get this in the uh, in the adaptations as well. But that that no smoking sign and kind of wait having to wait until the no smoking sign went away in order to mm-hmm. smoke like how you know he smoked like three cigarettes three yeah. cigarettes in a row. It's just like th- well, there's. What a different time. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, not to mention what a different time. And and even in the first adaptation we're going to talk about, they had like the, the cups that they were bringing them on the... How, how weird were those cups that they were yeah, bringing weird them on the plane? Weird paper cups. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny. I, I mean, I, I was actually curious. I was sitting there thinking like, it would have been fun to watch this one with you because as I was watching that early adaptation, um, I feel like they, like we've gotten better at disguising the fact that this is being filmed right in in modern day like there's a lot more trickery to to, to disguise it as real life but you could tell this was being filmed much clearer i mean it doesn't help that we're watching it on tvs it was never intended to be watched on (laughs) so you can see Mm -hmm. way more than you ever should have seen um but i was just like curious about like what your thoughts were like the filmmaking that we were seeing from in the back in the 60s for the twilight zone and how different it is than what we see today yeah, it's and, and that's just like a developing of the art, you know what I mean? As as different tools and different techniques come along, you just build they're just building blocks. But what in a word I would just say formative. Like I I was as I was watching it, I just felt like I could see the the f- fundamental like foundation of of where things were going to go for for like a a monster story or something like that. It just felt like uh, it was just so much fun too. It's something I wanted to talk about, but we'll we'll get to the adaptation mm-hmm. in a second. Well, we I feel like we can kind of talk about the two inter- interchangeably. For one, you know, Matheson wrote the screenplay for the adaptation, um, and it's yeah. very faithful. Honestly, um, there's a mm-hmm. few things that get changed. I think just because of the logistics of like trying to film it back then, and they had to change it. But it was like as much as he could keep the same, he kept the same, right? Yeah. And and you know, there's a few things here and there. But one of the things I want to talk about is how. Uh, in the in the story, at least now, I don't think this is true in the show. And so this is a change. Um, he has a gun that he's brought along with him because he's been having suicidal thoughts, and it's like in an envelope or something in his back, in his like luggage. Yeah, and this is this is wild to me yeah. too because there's a couple there's a couple of things that are that are like kind of talked about here. Which one, the idea that he's suicidal is is you know adds even more tension to that character. It's yeah. like is he losing it? Is he not you know like kind of a unreliable narrator type thing going on. Yeah. Um but then he also there's a couple lines about like why he carries it also for for like teenage gangsters and yeah. like whatever else it was like to protect himself. From, yeah, yeah. I forget what else he said, but it just like what a and well, again, that's what, what he a different said time he, and, he tells himself that's why he carries it, but he knows that he really carries it for a different reason and he just lets that kind of yeah. hang. That yeah, scene like and that, that scene in the in the the uh, lavatory as they call it here, but the bathroom, it, it's it's tense too. And like I was I was wondering where where it was going when he got in there because he had to like wait for someone to leave in order to be able to like someone it was occupied, and then once he got in there, he's like stressed out and like leaning up against the wall and like sweating and freaking out. Yeah. And uh, then we see the gun, and I was like, holy shit! Like this is this is a different story than I'm than I'm familiar <laughs> with. Yeah, and it's it, so. I, the short story is even more internal than we get in the original adaptation because all of this is going on in his mind. He's alone. He's not with his wife. 
um, whereas they do add the wife character in the sh- in the in the adaptation, and he is he's kind of wrestling with his own inner demons. Whereas they they give him the other other characters to talk to about it on on a show just to get it out there, and that makes sense. But I liked that sort of really personal because it it it, it furthers the isolation of of not being believed. I think in some ways. And um, we should we should say like where we're at in the story right now. He's he sees something on the wing, and um, I love I do love that there there's a line in there about how fighter pilots in the World War II used to call them like goblins or gremlins or something that they would like mm-hmm. see on their in on their planes. And and it's a really clever way. And like King does this all the time. And you gotta wonder if he was inspired by Matheson, but he uses like real world legend and myth to link to something to make it seem like, oh, maybe this is actually something that could happen, right? Because instead of just being a monster on the wing that has no precedent, it's like, no, no, there's actually this, people have talked about this sort of thing happening in our real world. And he connects it in that way, makes it feel more real, right? It's it's almost laid in there as if it was just something to, th- to think about that's just a little fact, like a little something, a little character moment for him to like flesh him out of the character. And then who knows if it'll actually pay off, which most savvy readers would know obviously that's going to pay off to something but if you're i don't know i guess if you're not paying very much attention it could it could just go by you and then you're like oh my god you've totally set this up (laughs) yeah uh so we got to talk about the difference in how the monsters look though i think that's one of the biggest things we (laughs) has to be discussed so in the short story he's described as being like bird-like and and Mm -hmm. uh kind of gaunt and um have like a this like a cunning smile and like an intelligence he can tell and it keeps like flying away and flying back down in this like really unreal like unreal way and <laughs> i remember like i was thinking of the the movie adaptation that i saw where this was convincingly portrayed and it was genuinely mm-hmm. scary and then i was just busting out laughing when i saw it's the, so good right isn't it the, the, the man in an, he's like in an ape suit he has a giant belly for some reason <laughs> It's so goofy looking. And then whenever he like comes off, like he's you can see the strings and he just floats away in like a really silly <laughs> it's way. It's so like, good. It's so good. And it's amazing to think back like people were genuinely scared by this and like I get it because it's like you don't have any comparison point to like, you know, and this was like groundbreaking at the time probably, but man did it look ridiculous. <laughs> it's so good. Oh my god. I want to be that for Halloween, by the way. The little gremlin oh on the wing. Oh my god, it's so good. Such a such the, a good. The face, the face is really what does it for me, though. The, He's like, got like it's got it's like an ape face, but it's got face. like mascara on it or something, or not mascara, but like eyeliner, like around its yeah. eyes, and it's it's like kind of twisted in a way, but otherwise it looks yeah. kind of just like an ape mask. I don't. It's really bizarre. My favorite moment is when he looks at the wing and and it like just gently lands, and you can just basically <laughs> see the strings as it no, lands. No, I could oh, see the swing so strings for sure several times in my so viewing. Good. <laughs> I I love it. I mean, it's like clearly it's funny, but it's still effective in in some sort of way, in some some yeah. campy way. But well, because I, the I character it, reacts to it, and we were connected with him. Which, by the way, William Shatner, we should say. Like this is a yeah. very young William Shatner in this role. Um, I don't know where this lines up with with uh, Star Trek, but um, it was cool to see him in there. You know, young young Shatner doing his Shatner yeah. And to thing. get into the if we're if we're kind of switching gears to talk about that a little bit, the yeah. director of this is Richard Donner. Early days, Richard Donner, young Richard Donner, who would go on to to direct Superman. Oh, okay. Like the original Superman, um, which you know, as far as a superhero movie is concerned, is like got to be the the 
gold standard for a very long time. Yeah. He also he also directed Lethal Weapon in the eighties. Oh, cool! I love Lethal. I, yeah. I, I I love Lethal Weapon, even though it's definitely an eighties movie <laughs> through and through. <laughs> it um, is. Yes, it is. But oh, so there was something I want to shout out in the sh- in the short story that I really liked. Um, there's a moment where Matheson has the the main character thinks um, that it, there's a cat or a dog that got stuck on the wing. And he thinks of it like losing its mind in terror as it's on the swing. And to me, I, that was such a like terrifying thought of that being the possibility. He quickly realizes that's not what it is. But these kind of small moments build because it builds this like unease and like like this feeling in you of like, oh, this is really horrible. Um, and I, that's why the short story is as far as like a horror piece is is w- more effective, in my opinion than what than what we get in the original adaptation but um and it's because i think you know like this kind of writing is timeless you know this isn't there's not it's not beholden to budgets or anything like it's just knowing how to convey things uh to other humans that that can be effective and and yeah so you can i can read this today and feel like i learned something from it and that's cool and you said we talked about it with with just the idea the concept we've talked about this before like the idea of like jurassic park just you're saying like you're you're bringing back dinosaurs and you're putting them in a park like that's a fantastic idea for a story right the idea behind putting somebody on a plane and and having something be on the wing that's like and like and nobody believes you when when you when you see it and you tell them no one believes you yeah but but because it's such it's like the the structure of the story is so perfect as it builds right mm -hmm. and we can feel where it's headed and it's one of these weird situations where even if you hadn't read the story and you're not aware of it, I feel like if you get on a plane, you think like, what if something was on that wing? Like it's it's one of those weird moments where like, I, th- I think it's like a universal thought that people have. Yeah. And then he just took it and made it into a story. Or it's like when you look out the window at the wing, you're looking at it and you're like, what if I see something that's not supposed to be there? Like that's a, that's a scary thought, right? Like a what if I see something? pulled off. Yeah, yeah, like or, or 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 like or like the the engine like like flashes or something like what you know what what if I see something that's a scary thought right. and you can totally yeah and th- and you're right because like it's a great setup the idea of this character with it with seeing something on the wing and not being believed and the fear of that like you start from that point and like the story almost writes itself in my opinion it doesn't it yeah. just feels effortlessly or feels effortless but in some ways it kind of does because like it just kind of plays out in the logical way that it, that it should, it feels right to me. And, and that's, that's escalation, right? So we get more and more, we get him, he closes, he closes the curtains and he tries to sleep and then he throws them open, like finally frustrated that he's done. He's like, I'm going to look, he throws it open and it's right there pressed against the glass. And I remember how terrifying that was in the movie. Um, And here it's, it's funny because the thing looks so silly, but it's, it's frightening in the story too. And it's it's a scary moment because the thing's right there looking right at him. And that's the other terrifying thing. Like, he's not just um, observing this thing. It's observing him, too. It is aware of him. And I remember that right. is like a deeply unsettling as well. Well, it definitely. And then the, just the idea that every single time he gets somebody over there, which in the in the adaptation, it's a, it's like I think they linger a little bit too long on moments when when he's not looking. Yeah, they're like having a conversation and they all finally dramatically turn and look at the window and right. it's gone. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. of course it's gone. You gave it a minute and a half. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, it's just good. And, and like, I, I think 
although even, you know, I, I don't know, trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody who saw this when it first came out, I think even if he looked a little goofy and a little like, you know, it's, it's clearly a guy in a suit, even if that's the case, the idea that something was on the wing pulling panels off to damaging the plane is still yeah. scary. And, and I feel like air travel of that kind was newer back then, right? So it, I think people had a lot more fears about flying than we do today where we've kind of grown, grown more used to it. Oh, so another thing that there's a couple of things here that just fully put it in a different time. And one of them is the um, the, the this passenger being like crazy and angry and th- them pulling the pilot back to come talk to him personally. And it just felt yeah. to me like really un, like if, if somebody's being dangerous, you don't take the pilot out of the cockpit and have him come talk to him personally and like try and call him down. Right. It, it, well, they kind of, yeah. I mean, maybe they would back then, but they, I just feel like you wouldn't do that now. I just mean like in, in the, the newer adaptation, something like the captain shows up. So something similar happens. We can't, I want to hold off on talking about it though. I don't want to spoil that for people, but you're right. And we can talk about whether or not that's realistic, but yeah. Okay. So let's further along the plot here. So he, things are escalating. The, the, the monster starts doing damage to the plane and he starts deciding like, I got to do something about it. He thinks about his gun. He's like, I'm going to shoot this thing um, because it's gonna we're gonna crash and um and i'm the only person who is in position to do something about it right so he finally gets the gun and he's going to shoot it but then he realizes that it could like ricochet off the window and and the the glass is too thick and it probably wouldn't hit the thing so he pulls the uh emergency window i think it is in the story emergency door in the adaptation and he just like because his like shoulders and head get sucked out and then he like while he's dangling you know out there he fires the gun at it hits the thing knocks it off the wing and then blacks out and then the story ends with him waking up on a stretcher and they're they're kind of drawing him out and he and he's and he's and they say like oh it's the craziest way i've ever seen someone try to commit suicide and then he's like well they're gonna find evidence that the panel was being just, you know, messed up, messed with, and I'm going to be vindicated. And that's essentially, it's all in his head and him thinking that, and then that's the end of the story. And there is a difference in the, in the show because in the, in the show they do pull over and you see the panel lifted up and then you add the added element of the narrator, the twilight zone narrator, which also changes. Things. So, so we can talk a little bit about, yeah. about, about that. And honestly, just to talk about Twilight Zone in general, like it, it's extremely important to me. It's one of those I put it on all the time. It's just like a comfort show for me. And I just think it's so much fun just to see some of these stories that would, you know, inspire so much. And Rod Serling, I mean, Jesus, the guy is just an absolute icon. And, and this episode is iconic. William Shatner's overacting as usual yeah. is is iconic. It's, I mean, he sits incredible. up. He sits up at the end in 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 the stretcher or whatever. He like sits up and he like looks at the camera and he says something like they will find it or something like I don't know. Just he 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 really overacts at the end there just to because like, I thought he did a pretty pretty good job throughout, but then that moment was just way over the top. I mean, his reactions, especially for the time, were wild. They were like his. I mean. It, which I, you know, sold the the creature being that unfathomably scary. Yeah, it's a moment that 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 would elicit extreme emotions. So in that, so I guess yeah. in that sense, like I, it was okay. But yeah. um, I don't know. There, there was something just very like stagey at the end with him sitting up in the stretcher and talking to the camera. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, the change of the change of him like acts like he dropped his cigarettes and like leans and takes the somebody's gun on the plane. 
Yeah, that's, that's true. He, t- he takes the gun off of somebody else. Um, but so I, I think it is interesting to think about the Twilight Zone and how that frames this story, because this story is not a Twilight Zone short story. It was written before. It's just a horror story. Whereas yeah. you bring in the, the framing device of the Twilight Zone, you have a narrator like kind of stepping into frame and talking about how he doesn't realize that his flight has taken a direct path into the Twilight Zone, you know, and then at the end, he kind of steps in again and talks about it to like do a little wrap up piece. It does take away the psychological element that is present in the story before, because there is no actual proof that what he saw was real in the short story. It may have just been all in his head. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that to, to your point, I think that that makes it more of an internal story. But yeah. I think that in terms of conveying a story, especially at this time uh, for a TV show, I think they made the right choice because that, that I think having showing the plate up and having people be like, maybe it really was real. Yeah. Uh, it kind of leaves you with more questions than than if you knew like, oh, it kind of seems like it was all in his head. Because I think from from the story, I think it was all in his head, in my opinion. It's an open. It's an but, open question right. for sure. Yeah, but this is um, more concrete. Like, like, oh, yeah. how crazy is that? That that actually was happening, but nobody believed him. He was. The, yeah. Everybody thought he was the boy. Who and like wolf. the Twilight Zone is the answer ultimately, right? Because the question for yeah. the Twilight Zone is like, why is any of this happening? Because it's the Twilight Zone, and, and that's like <laughs> the answer to all of it, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So it is interesting how it kind of reframes that story in a way. So I, I forgot to ask you this at the beginning, or maybe I did. You had seen this episode before. Yes. Okay. And had you seen the that the movie I'm talking about with John Lithgow? Have you seen that? Yes. Yeah, but it's been forever since I've seen that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just so I know where where we're both at. It was fun to go back and see this thing, and um, I'm actually really glad I did because it is it is referenced uh, in in some significant ways in, in the the new, the new adaptation. So uh, if you're ready, I think we'll move on to that had a lot of fun with this story in this in this episode and if you're curious about the new one i think we'll start out by discussing it non-spoiler ways um and then we'll then we'll get into more some more spoilers but yeah so the the new jordan peele vehicle twilight zone cbs all access adaptation we had to we had to set up for all access to even watch this thing that's another whole discussion i think it's a really dumb way to do this but um i, I see what they're trying to do and I'm frustrated with it, but we did it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we got we got this new version. And from the jump, it is slick. It is modern. He's got ear pods or iPods in his ear, whatever those things are called. AirPods, yeah. AirPods, thank you. Um, you know, that's a really, it's getting scanned in this like really futuristic looking scanner. Um, and uh, I forget the name of the actor, but he's, isn't he like Ben from Parks and Rec? Yeah, Adam Scott. He's great. Yeah. And so he's our main character in this one. I do have thoughts about this casting, though. Okay, so what what, what do you think of the of the casting of him? So I love this guy, and I think so. If you've seen like uh, Big Little Lies on HBO, he was in that. I I just I think he's a great actor, and I'm and so that's not to take anything away from him. But I think that because he's a comedic actor, a lot of the time, it maybe just in the back of my mind, like some subliminal thing was telling me like some of his, some of the things that were going on were supposed to be funny. Or t- or t- or maybe a little more sarcastic or like it, it just seemed like there was a little tongue in cheek and I don't yeah. know if that was intended or not, which we can talk yeah, it's, about. I mean, it's tough because a lot of comedians and or com- comic actors seamlessly have great dramatic performances, so it can be done. Um, you can get over that, I guess that that issue. I think that it may have also added something to to 
the performance because it's like the idea that he can be on like one second he can be like charming funny witty and then flip and also be a dramatic actor that's a huge you know that's a huge plus i just felt like there were times where i was like if this was john lithgow or or like william shatner it might play out differently which he clearly isn't and this is a new take um Ultimately, I like I, I like the episode and I think he does a great job. I just wanted to say, like, I felt like it was weird casting, which I, yeah. I usually am for weird casting. Mm. Um, but it just something about it. I mean, it's not that weird. He's still he's still kind of a middle aged white dude. So in some sense, they, they kept it pretty. Oh, I didn't pretty close. I just meant sense. weird, weird in the way that like this is like a, you know, pseudo horror kind of sort story. And it's like, you know, they're not casting somebody hmm. based on that. You know, they're they're basically they're, they're just saying, like, let's get a great actor and cast them. OK, I, I mean, I can get that. I, I didn't have that problem with it, with his performance. Um, I did have that. And this is more of a overall Twilight Zone thing. Um, I struggled a little bit with Jordan Peele. Now, I know he's an incredible director of horror. But I've seen so much Key and Peele that when he shows up doing almost kind of an impression of the same sort of character from the original Twilight Zone, the announcer character, mm-hmm. I keep waiting for him to crack a joke. Like I like I was like, he, he can't. He, but he plays it totally serious. And right. I think over time, if I watched more episodes, I'd probably grow to be like to be fine with it and not have that problem. But for this episode, mm. I was like, I kept looking, I'm like, is he going to crack a smile? You know? Cause obviously this is kind of silly and, but he never does, you know, he had like a brow for a, at one point that I felt like was a kind of a little wink and a nod. Like maybe because I agree yeah, with you're you. Right. He like, kind of raised his eyebrow. Like mm, there was, there was right. a bit of that for me as well. And, and like I, like you just said, he, he, I mean, incredible, incredible horror director, respect the hell out of him. And, you know, I've loved him in Key and Peele for years. But the, yeah, it, like you said, there's just this instinct in me where I felt like it was like he, maybe he was going to crack a joke. Uh, I But like, I love it. Like, I love Jordan Peele as the new yeah. as the new like like announcer. I, I think yeah. it works. I love it. But too. I did. And, and I honestly think if I if I watched more episodes, I think that problem would probably go away. And I think maybe he's playing with the idea that like audiences might think that he's going to crack a joke. And like, maybe that's like something to his performance there. Like, hmm. I, I, I don't maybe. know. Maybe he's yeah. using it. So uh, I think we got it. We got to break into some spoilers here um, because I, we have to talk about just how different this story is. So we are we are going to spoil the episode now. So if you really want to watch the new version going fresh, stop it now. All right. We gave him the chance. All right. So <laughs> they there is no monster on the wing. And this version of Nightmare at 30,000 feet is what they call this one. Um, instead, yeah. we get an, a, a awesome speculative element in a podcast that mm-hmm. uh, the main character listens to that narrates the disappearance of the flight that he's on. And I thought this mm-hmm. was an incredible idea. I actually really loved it. It felt weird that this was called Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, though, because it almost is a completely different story. That, that's exactly what it is. It's another story, and then you just re- say, like, oh, it's on a plane, so we can we can reference. Because, I mean, that's why it's not called Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. It's called Nightmare Again. at 30,000 feet. <laughs> right. So it's like a reference thing. And, and like, I don't know. I, I like the the premise, the idea that they're that they're changing it up. I was still expecting the entire time for there to be a creature on the wing. And when there wasn't, it was like, oh, And he keeps looking out at the wing and they keep showing the shot of the wing. So I think we're supposed yeah. to be expecting it. Like, is it going to like, when's it going to come? And at a certain point when I kind of realized it wasn't coming, I got kind of disappointed. I was like, oh, I guess we're not getting it. But I was Me liking too, the yeah. story they were telling. 
Um, yeah. I actually really liked the conceit of that. Like, I, I've actually I feel it, like that's like a very modern story, and it's something I've actually had a thought about in the past. Like, listening to something and what what would happen if it said something that was like currently happening, and you were watching it. Like, how like it would yeah. feel so bizarre and and scary, and that's exactly what happens. Um, and I love the way they dealt with that. Like right now, I I I see you, Roger. I'm looking <laughs> at you right now. Yeah. If there's a Roger listening, I'm looking at you right now. Yeah. Put that down, Jeremy. <laughs> Just see if we happen to hit anybody. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think my my main thing is that if, if this wasn't called Nightmare at 30,000 feet, I think I and I like that they were playing with the elements and like, you know, subverting expectation. But I think if it wasn't called that, I may have even enjoyed the episode even more. Just yeah. because I was expecting I was expecting to see a creature. Um, yeah. And it's almost because and now I'm like, oh, what's what's it? What's a modern nightmare at 20,000 feet look like? You know, a retelling again yeah. with a creature and all. Um, I don't know. I, I think it looks like, kind of like the John Lithgow version in the movie. That's why I was surprised to hear they did this, because I was like, what more can they really do with this thing? You know, because um, I yeah. felt like that was a really, really good version of it. Um, so I don't I guess I'm OK with the change. It was a little weird um, to try and like recalibrate and realize that we are going a whole different route. Um, well, that's the thing. After after covering the source material and after covering the 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 original, we were both primed to to yeah. compare. And it's like, how do we compare this? There are things here and there, but thematically, maybe, but but nothing like plot wise. Yeah, I think the main way is like you said, kind of thematically and character wise, because this is all about a person who's having a crazy experience that no one believes and only they know about. That thing is in was is theoretically endangering the plane, and it's he takes it upon himself to try and do something to avert the disaster that's that's imminent. Um, so in a lot of those ways, like that's all the same, right? Like all those elements line up. Um, it's just how how it plays out is very different. Um, I love. There's a couple of nice twists. I really love the um the the sort of which is funny because actually actually it's kind of a callback to the original story. There's like a a young woman across from him in the other aisle, who keeps looking over. And I remember that happened in the short story, but didn't happen in the in the in the fifties adaptation. So I don't know if that was supposed to be sort of a uh, reference to that. But then I love that she ended up being the air marshal. I thought that was a really cool twist. So and, good. Did um, you see that coming? No, I actually didn't. I didn't see it coming. Yeah. I, did you? I love did that. you predict it? No, I didn't. I loved you it. Didn't. That, yeah, yeah. That I, I didn't it see cool. it coming. Yeah. I kept thinking that the weird guy was going to end up being one, which is what we were supposed to think, right? Like the guy who he's having this conversation with, like who is this guy yeah. and 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 what he wanted and and why. To me, is also like why does he believe him? Um, There's a couple times where it felt like characters were behaving in ways I didn't really believe, and one of them was like this guy seems like so ready to believe him that that he is listening to a podcast about something that's happening right now, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm totally in with it, which made me think he was like a figment of his imagination or something. Right. I don't know, man. We knew something was going on with him. We clearly, like, obviously he was like end of the episode, clearly, like something was going to pop off. They, I got to talk about this, because this is something that I think they played with well, but I want to get your take on it as well. There was definitely like racial profiling being used as like a lens for us to, to to watch the episode through it was like making me cringe they were showing shots of people um 
wearing like a headscarf or wearing like traditional garbs and and large beards and like clearly they were like trying to set up some sort of like terrorist thing in our head and then and then the guy who we thought maybe was like a figment of his imagination or something was really quick to talk about terrorists so so it being post 9-11 and and having it be a, a flight story i guess you can't really get around the idea of talking about 9-11 but the the specific like the lens racially profiling people was like making me cringe which i think was done on purpose yeah i mean i don't know that i i think we're some of the cringe because like it was it handled perfectly i don't know but i do think the attempt is to play off of the very modern fear of is there a terrorist on this plane with me which everybody has you know what i mean like that's that's the thing that people think about now when they get on a plane and that's terrifying. And I, they were trying to play with that. Um, and, and yeah, it, it was, is it handled really well? I don't know, but, um, it's not, it's not egregious. It's not bad. It's just like, uh, it is kind of cringy in some ways. Um, I did think that they were kind of cavalier with the, the pilot coming out to speak to him. I thought like, who is this guy? This isn't, this can't be the pilot. And it's like, no, no, this is the pilot. He's coming to talk to him. And I know that there are other pilots in the, in the front, but like, this guy, someone behave like a, a passenger behaving erratically and possibly dangerously. You keep them away from the pilot at all costs. I feel like, I don't know. It just, I just didn't buy that part of it. Yeah, I, I don't know the protocol for like if a if a captain would ever leave the cockpit and come back and and talk to somebody. I don't know for sure, but yeah, yeah. it does seem like that would your, it would be in your best interest to kind of handle that guy on your own and and figure out like what his deal is. Yeah, uh, and then, I mean, like you just the flight crew should be able to handle it and not have to have the pilot intervene. It just seems to me. Yeah. So we see the main character. Um, if you're listening to this, and we probably should describe what happens. He runs around. He's like interrogating different people because the podcast keeps saying there's people of interest on this flight that and it's like a true crime podcast kind of being described as like, here's what we know leading up to the disappearance. And it has like time codes. And it's like at this hour, this message came about. And then there was a video posted to social media. That was a cool moment because he, mm -hmm. he gets in an argument and they yell at him to go back to his seat. Cause he's, he's like harassing these two guys and a bunch of passengers take video of him doing it. And then he goes back to his seat and he sits down and he puts on the podcast and it says, um, that, you know, at at literally the time it is right now, there was a there's a video uploaded to social media that it, he's like, probably everybody has seen. It's the most notorious thing. And it's a recording of what just happened. And yeah. um, really like the use of popular culture right now. Yeah. The, the idea yeah. of true crime podcasts are massive. And the idea that one could be unfolding in front of you is like, I hope this isn't the last time we see that kind of. Yeah. It's, and it's you're at really the center cool of, premise. you know, the podcast is such an early in, in its infancy kind of art form that um these sort of like almost like an interactive podcast in some way could exist you know and some sort of arg situation or something and um it just it seems like there's there's a lot of potential for for this kind of creepiness and and telling stories that that at least play out in similar ways um it makes me want to try and write something like this honestly it's it's cool there's a couple of little things built into this this episode but one of the things that i really liked was the podcast that he was listening to Mm -hmm. was voiced by dan carlin oh that's why that voice was familiar isn't that cool like they they <laughs> went and got awesome. dan carlin legendary podcaster to be a podcast that's in this so cool. episode of the twilight zone that's awesome uh dan carlin does hardcore history yeah uh we should say so also he finds like this device it's like an older looking ipod that that he can't use his ear his airpods on he has to find like a plug-in one um 
and he just finds it in the back of the, the seat in front of him or sitting on the seat that he's that he gets. And he also like changed seats with somebody on his way in. So there's some sort of like eerie things that happens there that I liked um, and like how he ended up getting it. He did give up really easily on not having anybody else listen to it. That frustrated me because he asked the guy sitting next to him to listen to it. The guy says, no, nah, man, I don't want lice or whatever. And he he leaves and we never see that guy again. Where the fuck does he go? <laughs> right. Does he just go sit somewhere else? I don't know. It's bizarre. He So he's like, oh, so this guy won't listen to it. So, oh, well. But then there's like several other opportunities where he could say, like, listen to this and, and let somebody else listen to the thing. I don't know. And he like, never does. He never tries again. I agree. Yeah, I, I kind of I was kind of hoping he would try a little more. And the other the other thing was. I, I was like, just stop listening. Like, there's part of me that just wants you to just stop listening. No, dude, you got to keep listening. I, I was I, I was with him. I was like, he, he's got to see what happens next. Like, I, I, I was I was I was bought in on the idea that you, he would just like keep coming back to it. It's like not looking out the window. You know what I mean? Like, right. in, in the sh- no, like, I he mean, I get, yeah, I get that. That's why they did that. But but the idea, like if that started happening to me, I would be like, OK, well, let me stop. Let me stop and see if 10, 10, whatever, 10, 15 comes around. Yeah. But but I'm, as you're I'm sitting there alive. and the time's ticking by and you're thinking about what if I would what if there's something that could be revealed if I listened? What if it is going to happen? and I just sit here and do nothing like that kind of thing. I don't know. I feel like you could talk yourself into it, you know. But what, but like I'm trying to talk myself out of it because I'm like, what if I'm playing into the Twilight Zone right now? Like, what if I continue listening to this and that's what kills me? And and it's not necessarily the uh, well, this isn't necessarily fate. Teach their which own is, man. I think I think I would listen to it honestly. Which which begs the question: Do you think that this is like has something to say about fate? Like, do you think that this is like a maybe there's like something wrapped up in fate here? It did seem like they were trying to do something thematic with like the past is the past and the present. I forget what they even say. Um, cause he had been mm-hmm. talking to his therapist about it and, and this right. like really ties into that. Cause it's like the past isn't the present, but it seems like it is on the, on the, I just wasn't sure what point they were really trying to make with that. And I don't know if they ever really made one. So all this leads up to, we got to finish out the plot here. All this leads up to our, our main character who he's a, he's a journalist in this, not the same character as a different name. Um, he's a journalist and he, he's trying to investigate what's going to bring down this plane. He knows that it's supposed to disappear from radar at a certain time and that time's drawing closer and closer finally he talks to his friend this guy or not his friend this guy that he met in the airport and has interacted with a few times this kind of creepy guy sitting in the back of the plane and the guy's like yeah i believe you man he's like the only one who's believed him so he's really relieved and, and so they start talking about it he's like what can i do and he says well if i could get into that cockpit because he says that he's a pilot this guy he says, if i get into that cockpit you know like i could i could fly this thing and i could prevent whatever disaster is going to happen and so he says like oh yeah you should do that and, and he's like well i it's got a code and i don't know how to get in there and then he thinks like i know what it is and so this number 1015 has been repeated a few times like that's when that's um the the, the number of the flight the time the flight left at and something else and the so time it crashes yeah the time it crashes and so he's like it's 1015 um, which seems like you wouldn't the code seems like a terrible idea to put the flight number of the flight as the code for it to into the cockpit but who knows maybe they do that um <laughs> that's having your password as password by the way. <laughs> exactly right yeah and um so he tells the guy and he's like all right i'm gonna go in there and i'm gonna i'm gonna like shut down like cabin pressure so that everybody passes out but he gives him like an oxygen tank so that he can stay awake all right. i gotta talk about some of this real quick yeah. so the idea of of his character being okay with him like shutting off the air basically 
would imply that he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be able to just knock them out. They'll all just fall asleep, but they're going to die from lack of oxygen, right? You can't go to sleep from lack of oxygen without that eventually killing you unless you get the oxygen back. So he was not thinking at all. Uh, in my opinion, it starts to, it kind of starts to go off the rails here a little bit. I, I, I agree. It's, it's, and he agrees to this way too easily. We've seen him pushed by no one believing him, but I feel like we also haven't seen enough proof that the thing that he's afraid of is actually going to happen is going to happen. You know, like I, I, yeah. I, he needed something more, I think, to push him into this moment where he be- trusts like this creature, guy to do this thing. Like a creature um, on the wing or something. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, so this guy, uh, for whatever reason, uh, uh, seems to be a real person and he gets the code. He goes up and he unlocks the front thing. And he goes in and then, oh, there's, there's also a thing where like the the cockpit is being broadcast to the entire plane. Um, on this flight, they say, which I think is just kind of the, like a lampshade of like, yeah, this isn't a thing that I don't think planes do, but we're going to do it here. Um, so everybody sees him come in and like beat up. He beats the shit out of the, the pilots and takes the thing, does the thing where he makes everybody pass out. And then he's like talking to our, our main character directly and like thanks him for his help. And then he says the line, you know, good night, New York, which was, was supposed to be the last thing that was said by the plane, which is eerie. And, I, and, and it's this guy, and, and our main character's like, oh, God. And uh, so this, this is all going to lead to to what I feared, and I, I actually created it. So it's kind of an interesting, like, time travel almost kind of thing. Like, you create yeah. the thing that you're afraid of. Um, right. And so maybe that ties into their to their themes. Um, and then uh, he, like, lets go of the wheel, and we see the plane, like, dip and dive. And then I think it goes to black. And I really wish the episode ended right here. <laughs> I Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Well, and for me... Even with the slight problems I had, I really yeah. wish it ended right here. I would have been great. It would have been, it would have been, and it would have been kind of Twilight Zone esque. But I guess adding that one little thing at the end of, uh, at the end of the original, maybe had them thinking like, oh, we should add one more little twist here at the end. Scene, yeah, yeah. But but I almost feel like just having him get on the island and be like, have to live with the fact that like it was because of him, and then he has to live out his days on the island, and he knows from the podcast that nobody's ever been found. So yeah, he's never been found, and it should have been he like that he was the only casualty, although. That whole thing, I don't know, man. The idea that an entire plane could go to, could crash in the in the ocean and everyone survives and is okay. It's the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Completely unbelievable. It's the Twilight Zone, I guess, is the answer to a lot of this. Man, like I still like I I, I feel like we've we've kind of grown up as a society for our storytelling and we want things to hold together a little better. And that would that just didn't seem real to me. Um I I do like the idea of like him being missing and yeah like you said like he listens to the podcast and it says that um you know so and so so and so the journalist the infamous journalist was never found or was never seen again and that would be really chilling ending right because he'd be stuck on this island knowing that he's never found so there's no chance of escape um i think that would be a dark way to end but instead all the passengers and crew are there on the beach and he, he they all just kind of show up as he's listening come out of the woods and stuff and they just all like dead faced walk at him and then just start beating him and they beat him to death, I guess, at the yeah. end of the episode while Jordan Peele shows up and, and, and talks a little bit about the Twilight Zone. And I guess they're beating him up because they blame him for what happened because he let the guy in. But my question was like, how do they even know he that he's the one who gave him the code? It's not like he said that to anybody. It, it was just so weird. They're like, it makes no sense. Honestly, right. it just makes no sense. Yeah, I just the the Yeah. 
I get that what they were trying to do, but the where I think I think we both agree it should have ended was was either cut to black, that fade to black at least, and then uh, or have him wash up on the beach, and I honestly just like ha- not even having a second episode in the in the uh, iPod or whatever it was, just having him like on the beach knowing because they had talked multiple times about how like you know it disappeared and nobody was ever found, and then it yeah. wasn't until the follow up episode that he got on the beach. That he realized that like oh everyone was found except for him as like a, yeah as like which a, that discounts what was said in the first episode of the podcast is very very but weird. it's supposedly it's supposedly like passage of time like has happened or something or like yeah. something weird has gone on where like another episode has been released like a very recent episode and they're like oh my god since we last talked they everyone was yeah, found update yeah yeah I don't know man it, it was bizarre and then um I definitely do want to shout out there was an Easter egg uh, for the original version which I'm sure you saw right loved it yeah. I want to get that teddy bear, the little 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 snuggly guy. It's a little, little snuggly creature. It's a little snuggly teddy bear version of the man in the ape suit. Like it is the man so in the good. ape suit from the original episode. He's he's in he's among the luggage on the on, on on the beach and he comes floating up and it was a nice little homage and nod to the to the original. Yeah. Like honestly, if we if we could if we could edit some of the changes here at the end, like it could still have been really good. It, it just this episode really lost me with like believability of the way people behave and it, it 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 was nearing that at the end of the of the sort of hijacking that happens but it completely crossed that when when we got the end where all of the people gang up to beat on him cuz like ultimately what did they see they see they saw a guy saying like something's wrong this plane's going to crash and i know about it and then the plane crashed so why are they all mad at him he was trying to warn them <laughs> like I, right. I, it just is so weird i i, I don't get it yeah, I think they were. Yeah, I think they lost the thread a little bit where they were like the audience knows that he was the one. He was the reason it went down. But I, like clearly, there should have been like another connective tissue that that let the the rest of the the uh, passengers know. Yeah, because they didn't. You know, know what I mean? Like, right. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about that was kind of. I mean, look, I I like this episode. I honestly think that, and I hadn't watched any of the new stuff up to this point. I think that I'll check them out. I think I want to because it's just fun. I just like the Twilight Zone whatever version of it that it's back i, w- I want to check it out um and uh but s- something funny that i wanted to say was the most unbelievable thing to me was the size of that fucking airplane when uh <laughs> when he's like walking around he's got oh, like the aisles. He's got, like the aisles yeah the huge. aisles yeah. and like i don't care how big of a how big of a plane he's on whatever transatlantic or whatever he's flying like that's a big ass plane and like just you know it looked better on it looked better on film but that was a huge <laughs> huge plane yeah um, so, you know, I think, I think there's like a campiness to Twilight Zone and it's very aware of it. I mean, it has an announcer, like walk up onto the beach and talk to the camera. Like it's campy. It knows what it is. And so I, th- I think they, they decide that that means that gives them license to just go for broke with a kind of ridiculous endings. And I think it's unfortunate here. Cause I think it does kind of like take away a little bit from this story. And I, my my worry is that they do this throughout the series. I hope that that's not the case and that some of these other ones um, don't go for that sort of campy end. But this, mm-hmm. this felt like, uh, yeah, it felt like they went for camp rather than like a serious story. Yeah. Uh, which they, they could have gone. Uh, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to try to remain undecided for now as far as the, the show as a whole. Like I want to check it out and see what I think. Um, but I do want to talk about one major thing that I feel like has to be addressed. Um, how much of this show's revival and this episode and everything that went on in it did you feel like is a response to Black Mirror, which is, you know, an anthology that clearly came in the footsteps of Twilight Zone? 
you know, honestly, I, I wasn't thinking about that because to me, like the tone of it was just very different in a lot of ways. I, I don't know, though. The podcast thing does kind of feel like something that could happen on Black Mirror. Yeah. Um, so I can see why you'd make that connection. Honestly, it wasn't what something I've thought about yet. So I'd love to. What were your thoughts? Well, I just was thinking like, you, you know, with the as soon as I knew they were remaking Twilight Zone, I was like, well, I mean, Black Mirror is, is wildly successful right now. A lot of people are really into it. And I think that show is really fun as well. I just like the anthology. I think these these fun little mini stories are so much fun to tell in anthology series like this. Mm. And um, I think Charlie Booker is the one who who is over the mastermind over there for uh, Black Mirror. And I, I've liked a lot of their episodes and most of them are like really, really great TV. I think that I think that it was the right time for Twilight Zone to come back because this this idea that like Black Mirror had primed an audience for anthology, horror, sci-fi, weird weird uh off the wall stories uh i think that i think there's the right time for it to come back so i hope that they can like you know just just maybe get a couple slam dunks in here somewhere and and people get on board with it yeah. and, and maybe there are episodes in here that that are you know we've only yeah. watched the one i think i how many i don't even know how many episodes are currently out i think these is two were on? dropped at the same time i think and then i'm not is sure it ongoing so yeah it looks like it, it is ongoing um okay three four five six it's currently on episode eight will come out in a couple of days so that'll be interesting cool. to track i'm gonna have to go back and watch hey, some of these episodes well, what we still have cbs all access for now so let's we can, uh, we can watch yeah. some more <laughs> yeah exactly all right man so i think that's a good place to finish this thing up uh we are going to be back next week for good omens that's going to be a multi-week project for us as we cover both the book and the show so we invite you to join us it looks really cool in my opinion back with neil gaiman who is a favorite of ours uh, so I'm excited for that. If you made it this far in our coverage, I hope that you check out the original Twilight Zone. Check out some of the new Twilight Zone stuff if you're interested in that. Uh, it was fun. It was fun to visit this. I hope we can somehow revisit Twilight Zone because I just absolutely love it. And then uh, I'm really excited to move on to Good Omens. I bet there are other episodes that that were adapted from from written work. So I, I think it's possible we could. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So also make sure to, 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 uh, participate in that giveaway. If you are interested, um, we also wanted to thank Ben E for being a patron. Uh, you have really helped keep this show going and a big shout out to you. And if you wanted to find out how to become a patron patron yourself, go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film, and you can find out what sort of bonus content we have on there, which is a full year's worth of monthly bonus episodes right now. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at ink to film. And join our Council of Inklings on, on Facebook. And another way to help out this podcast that costs nothing is to leave us a review wherever you found this episode and let us know what you thought of it. Thank you to Jennifer Delazana for providing our transcripts. And thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, that's it for this week. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.